and all three of the Synoptic Gospels, and the Synoptic Gospel are those that are told from a similar point of view, which would be Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as well as John's Gospel, we get a clear picture of all that Jesus suffered leading up to this historic, to this historic moment. We're going to take the majority of our verses in our text from Matthew's account. We're going to walk with our Savior. We're going to walk with Him to the cross. We're going to follow Him to the tomb, and we're going to actually follow Him all the way to the point of the resurrection in the message titled this morning, The Dawning of the Sun, S-O-N. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for today, and I thank you for this opportunity to bring the Word of God. And Lord, I know that you have spoken to me, and I would ask now, God, uh, and I beseech you that you would speak through me that the words that I would share would be the very ones that you would choose for me to speak. And those that I would choose, Lord, I pray that you remove them from me. Take the human element out of this message, Lord, and I pray that the Spirit of God will permeate our hearts and speak to us through your amazing word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so before we go into this, uh, to the events, what I want to do is really kind of look at the character of Christ, okay? Let's kind of look at him, and in John 1, verses 14 through 17, we get a picture of it. It says here, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now I want you to know, John is older than Jesus. It's interesting he says he came before me because he understands who he is. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. If we were going to think about the character of Jesus, we could define it in two words, grace and truth. Grace and truth. What does grace tell us? It says, Jesus is honest, he's sincere, compassionate, patient, loving, understanding, and for all of us, thankfully, forgiving. Amen. How many of us have dropped the ball in this life? Amen. Hello. Amen. Yeah, we're all guilty. Good, I'm not the only one. So full of grace and truth. And that's a phrase I want us to hold on to today, the fact that he's full of grace and truth. First, we're going to look at Jesus' betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. As I said, we're going to be working mostly from the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, verses 46 through 49. Jesus says this, Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth, that doth betray me. And while he yet spake, lo, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with a great multitude, with swords and staves, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now he that betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same as he, hold him fast. I want you to understand that a kiss was a, was a beautiful picture of friendship. That was a sign of direct and loving friendship. And, worth, and it says, and forthwith he came to Jesus and said, Hail, Master, and kissed him, betrayed him. But Jesus predicted this very betrayal, okay, in Matthew 26, verse 2. He says, Ye know that after two days in the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is to be, is to be betrayed and to be crucified. He predicts it hours before this, literally sitting at the table with this man. Look at this in Matthew 26, 21. 20 and 21 says, Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. Judas is in the group. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. So God knew that he would be betrayed, and yet he allowed it to take place. He allowed it for a purpose. Full of grace and truth, Jesus will not stand trial in the Jewish Sanhedrin. Matthew 27, verses 1 and 2. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So this impromptu court is called together to bring a conviction upon Jesus. 
He predicted this decree in Matthew 20, verse 18. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. This is on the way. And the Son of Man shall be betrayed under the chief priests and under the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. Jesus speaking of himself, prophesying what's going to take place. In John 15, 25, he predicts the hatred that they have in their hearts for him. In 15, 25, it says, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. He's saying, look, in the Old Testament, there's a written verse that this might be fulfilled, and it says, They hated me without a cause. Jesus is referencing Psalm 35, 19, which is written almost a thousand years before this day. And in Psalm 35, 19, it says this, Let not, let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. He's saying in that Old Testament, when you see those things written in the Psalms, guess who they're writing about? They're writing about me. And when you read all the things we're going to read in the New Testament, guess what? It's all about me. The Bible is about him. And see, what happens is we lose sight of that and we get thinking it's about us. We think that it's kind of our story, but it's not our story. It's his story. And what happens is our world gets us so caught up and we're going to search the Bible for what we want. Understand, you're going to get benefits from the Bible, no doubt about it. As you apply it in your life, there will be benefits and you'll see the results, no doubt about it. But we've got to be mindful of the fact that it's not for our benefit necessarily. It's, it's more about learning about who he is. Amen. You see, there's a relationship with us that we were created for. And this Bible is all about strengthening and fulfilling that relationship. It's about him and not about us. We want to go there looking for how do I live my best life? How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I glean from God what I need to become the best person I can become? Well, the wonderful thing is, as we apply the scripture and as we live and honor him the way we're supposed to, and we lift him up and we see him as he should be high and lifted up. Isaiah 6, 1 says, he's, I saw him high and lifted up. And when we keep God in that perspective and we read the Bible searching to know him better, the byproduct of that relationship is peace and love <coughs> and a fulfilled life like none other on this planet because we fulfill what we were created to do. Verse number two, it says, And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him unto Pontius Pilate, the governor. Matthew 27, 11 says this, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. Understand, Pilate's going to question him and try to find out a way. He's going to say, look, you know what? Is he guilty? Is he guilty? Is he guilty? After all the questioning that he does, he finds, he comes to the end and he says, look, you know what? I don't find this man to be guilty. Yet the Jewish people, these, these, uh, these Pharisees and these scribes, they're calling for his death. There's a hatred inside of them. Jesus predicted this in Caesarea Philippi, which is weeks and weeks before this, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus said this, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed, look at this, and be raised again the third day. Knowing exactly what was to come, he faithfully followed the path that was set before him. Why? Why? Hebrews 12.2 says this, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's victorious. But why? How can he have, what does it say, the joy that was set before him? Because you got to realize, Jesus was not looking at the immediate situation that was right in front of him. He was looking long term. He was looking to the result. He was looking to the victory that he knew would come. He wasn't focused here. He was focused there. And see, that's an example that we need to live by. That's exactly how we have to live this life. As a child of God, you've got to learn to not focus on the now, 
focus on the fact that God is sovereign, God has a plan, and He knows what's happening, and He has a purpose for what's taking place. Jesus is facing every one of these trials knowing what they are, knowing the suffering, knowing the betrayal, knowing the pain, knowing all that's going to take place, yet He walks into them freely because He understands with His eyes on the long term going, there's a result to this that will be positive in the end. Right now, it's going to be tough. And you know what? Life's got tough moments, man. I'm not going to joke with you and tell you, hey, you know, if you're a Christian, life's going to be peachy keen. There aren't going to be any issues and bumps. That's a lie straight out of hell, man, because I'm telling you what. This life is full of adversity. We have an enemy who desperately wants to destroy us and stop us in our path. And if we allow him to, we give him victories. But you know what? And a lot of us are guilty of giving him a lot of victories. A lot of us stumble and a lot of us fall. But the good news is that even in the midst of our stumbling, even in the midst of our failure, God can take it and teach us how to trust him more. Amen. It's awesome how God works. And it's so beautiful that Jesus sets an example for us focused on this long term. He's not on the earthly perspective, no, but on a heavenly perspective. Amen. And when you're in the midst of the storm, instead of looking at the wind and the waves and getting freaked out, go, you know what? God knows where I am. He knows that wave's about to hit me. He knows that wind's coming. He knows everything that's taking place, yet he's allowing it. There's a purpose to this. I'm just going to hold on and trust him. Just going to trust him. Full of grace and truth, Jesus stands before the people in Jerusalem. Matthew 27, verses 22 and 23. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, with Jesus which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. Mark 15, 15 tells us this, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. John 19, verse 1 through 3 says this, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Remember, Jesus is full of grace and truth. He's honest and loving and caring. And yet they scourge him. To scourge someone is to strip them down to almost naked, to tie them to a post where they cannot defend themselves and expose their back and stretch their muscles forward. And then to take a, a, a cat of nine tails. This would have metal and stone and glass woven in the tips of this thing. And they would use it to shred his back. Full of grace and truth. He takes it. Lash after lash after lash. Ripping through muscle and bone, tearing him apart. Full of grace and truth. With love in his eyes, receiving this beating. Not on our behalf. He did it for us, man. Isaiah 53 says, by, their, by, their, by my, my stripes we are healed. These are the stripes, man. That's a thousand years before. By his stripes, we are healed. Verse number two in John 19. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Jesus predicted this very treatment in Matthew 20, verse 19. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And on the third day, he shall rise again. He said this on the way to Jerusalem, guys. 
Again, the Lord is telling them of what's to come, including the resurrection. But at this point, guess what? They don't get it. The disciples are like, huh? What? What's he talking about? Notice this in Luke 9, 44 45. It says this, Let these sayings sink down into your ears, Jesus says, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. But they understood not this saying, and it was hid from them, and they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of that saying. And you know, they actually, right after that, they'll start arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest. Isn't that something? They're so clueless, but guess what? How many of us have been clueless many times in our lives? Man, oh man, you know what? We're so caught up in us. We're so caught up in what we're dealing with. We can't even hear what somebody else is going through, right? And it's such a dangerous place for us to be, this self-absorption, which our society pours into us every single day. We've got to learn how to not be about, about self and be about, you know what? What if I put my eyes on the Lord and have him show me something that someone else is going through? Being completely aware of, of every excruciating deal Jesus submits to the cross. The word excruciating excruciate, that word excruciate comes from the root word crucifixion. So when you think about the word excruciating pain, what they did was they came up with a word saying, look, you know what? There's a pain that's so bad that it can only be described as what takes place on the cross. He knew this was coming. Crucifixion. Matthew 27, 29 through 31. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him. And they took the reed and they smote him on the head. Understand, he has been scourged at this point. He's shredded. He's bleeding. He's barely awake. They put the crown of thorns on his head. Then they take the reed and they beat the crown of thorns down on his head. I've got a, a sample of what those thorns look like in here. That's a Jerusalem thorn. They're not little rosebuds. It's unbelievable what he suffered on our behalf. And after that, they had mocked him. They took the robe off from him and they put on his own raiment and they led him away to crucify him. We've seen that Jesus predicted his very crucifixion in Matthew 16, 21. Matthew 20, 19, and Matthew 26, 2. Crucifixion was designed to humiliate and torture the person who was to be crucified. It was designed to be a way to, to put fear into the hearts of the people in the city. It was a public execution where the person would slowly die. Traditionally, they died from asphyxiation because they just couldn't breathe anymore because the weight of holding your body up and all your lungs fill with blood, and eventually you die. But it was designed, and you know what's interesting? Is they would take a placard, and they write above it what the crime was. They post it over your head, thief, murderer. You know what it said for Jesus? King of the Jews. That was their thing against him. He claimed something. He can't be that, but what was really cool is prophetically they were telling the truth. He was the king, king of the Jews. So we know that Jesus was hung between two thieves, and that at his death, over 100 prophecies were, were fulfilled, including the final prophecy that needed to be fulfilled on the cross. Over a thousand years earlier, David was used to prophesy and write this. Psalm 69, 21 says this, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Okay? So that's a thousand years before the crucifixion. John 19, 28 and 23, 28 through 30, it says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, Understand, this is a calculated understanding of what he's going through. 
He's known everything and he measured it throughout. And on the cross, he's saying, now knowing all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled. The scripture is the Old Testament prophecies of him. This 69.21 says, in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Look at verse number 29. Now there was set a vessel of full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar. Oh, I skipped something 19 and 20. It says, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He saith, I thirst. Knowing that there's one more scripture that needs to be fulfilled before he takes his last breath, he says, I thirst. And sure enough, guess what's on the ground? There was a vessel full of vinegar. And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop. And when we get to the 10th plague, guess what? That hyssop's going to be important. I'm going to show you why that's really, really cool. And put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. It. Right? The prophecies that had to be fulfilled to prove that I am the Christ are being fulfilled right now when I take this last sip. It is finished. And he says, and he bowed his head. His head didn't fall. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. At the moment of Jesus' death, several things happened. First, a new covenant, a better covenant, was established between man and God through the sacrifice of of our Lord. As I said before when we were doing our communion service, the fact that, you know what, before every sacrifice was done was bulls and lambs and things of that nature, but now there was a perfect sacrifice, a holy, sinless sacrifice that created a new covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 says this, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Verse 13, in that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. The covenant that was before is gone. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. The new covenant is established, a new relationship with God. Instead of having to go to God through the priest going to the Holy of Holies, guess what? The veil was torn at the death of Jesus, and you and I have access to the throne of God. It is completely changed, and salvation comes to the world. Salvation comes. Second, the world falls back into a spiritual night without the light of Christ. Luke 23, 44 says this, and, and, and it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. A picture of what's taking place in John 8, 12. He said this of himself. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Right? Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth, he took that last breath. Jesus is buried in a borrowed tomb. Matthew 27, 57 and 60. It says, When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who was also himself was Jesus' disciple, and laid it in his, home, in his own tomb, in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out on the rock, and he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And what's interesting is we know that actually in the book of John, it tells us that there was another rich man there who actually his name was Nicodemus, who allowed that to take place. 744 years earlier, and the prophet Isaiah wrote this, Isaiah 53, 9, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. He was not buried by slaves. He was not buried by random people. Rich men gathered his body and buried it with the rich in his, in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither has any deceit in his mouth. Jesus will spend three days and three nights in the sepulcher. Three days and three nights. He predicted it. Matthew 12, 40. He says this. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So the world is plunged back into a darkness, 
A spiritual night has fallen. The devil and his, million, and his minions are celebrating their victory with the death of Jesus. You know when he took that last breath, yes, he's dead. He's dead. Pilate tried to let him go, but you know what? He's dead. And the first morning, or the first evening and the first morning, darkness reigns, man. It's like, woo, man, gone. Evening in the morning the second day, darkness reigns. Yes, yes, he's dead. Evening in the morning, the third day, darkness reigns, man. They're celebrating. But then, Matthew 28, 1. And the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. The battle's back on, guys. Light cracks over the horizon and breaks through the darkness. Light instantly starts eliminating the darkness. It's important to understand that, guess what? Darkness doesn't destroy light. Light destroys darkness. Darkness, you can't add to darkness, right? I can't make it darker. If it's dark, it's dark. But I can add to light. And as light comes in, darkness vanishes away. Power over darkness. It is light. Light is the answer. It's important to understand this. You see, darkness is nothing more than the absence of light. Light utterly destroys darkness. If we remember what, John, what, he, what Jesus said in John 8, 12, he said, he said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Verse number two. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Those are the Roman soldiers, man. They drop out. They're laying on the ground. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here, for He is risen. Exactly what He said was going to happen. Isaiah 33.10 says this. Guys, recognize this is way before Jesus is born. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. Now will I be exalted. Now will I lift myself up. Isaiah 60 verses 1 and 2. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. And gross darkness the people. The people will be consumed in the darkness. It will consume their lives. They'll be eaten up with darkness. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. The dawn, man. The dawn. The dawn. 2 Peter 1.19 We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star, the Lord Jesus Christ, arise in your hearts. Amen. Now, in our physical world, in creation, the sun, the S-U-N, guess what? It's a picture of the S-O-N, right? The light of our physical world is the sun, but the light of the spiritual world is the sun. In this next verse, check this out. You'll see how it intercha interchangeably it's used in this verse to teach us this truth. Malachi 4.2 says this, But unto you that fear my name shall the S-U-N of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as the calves of the stall. Our world today is in a spiritual night. And the sun, the sun of righteousness, arise. Break through that darkness 
We entered that spiritual night. Guess what? Jesus, when he's on the earth, the light is on the earth. But when he's gone, guess what? There is darkness. In Acts 1.9, we see when Jesus ascends. And it says, And when he had spoken these things, while they behold, he was taken up in a cloud and received him out of their sight. At that point in time, we entered a spiritual night on this planet. Every single one of us was consumed in that darkness, except for the children of God. We can look at our world today and clearly see the evidence of this darkness as people stumble their way through life without direction and without purpose. They're just looking, finding their way. Should I go this way? I'll listen to this person and go this way. Should I go this way? What's working? Does that work? Oh, I'll go online. and Oh, that looks like a good idea. Okay, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to be an online something, something. I'm gonna, whatever, right? People are just looking for something, some way to find some kind of satisfaction in their life. I'm going to look for a relationship. I'm looking for success. I'm looking for whatever it is because I'm looking for something because I know there's something missing in my life. And God is the answer. A spiritual night fell and darkness consumed the earth. Bottom line, Ephesians 6, 12 says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. John 3, 19 and 21 says this, And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You don't normally get your house broken into during the day. It normally happens at night, right? People want to hide their sin. He's a police officer. He's like, I don't know. But they're not doing it out in the open, right? They're hiding. They want to be in the shadows. They want to not be in the light. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. People don't want to have their deeds exposed. They try to hide it. We talked about that before. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. If you're living for the Lord, you have no problem with people looking at your life. If, you have, if, I, if I'm living for the Lord, I can give you my phone and be like, man, read all day long. Go for it. Read every text I got in here. Knock yourself out. I don't have any code. Go ahead and knock yourself out. But you see people that are like, oh, right? Yeah. My kids growing up, oh, right? <laughs> Hold on, I need to get that for a second. Delete, 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 delete. Okay, here you go. Right? <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. We're going to hide in the darkness. Darkness is nothing more than an absence of light. Darkness is simply an indicator of an area that needs light. When the sun isn't present during the night, light comes from something else comes from the moon, right? The moon has no light of its own. It is a dead rock. You and I have no light of our own. Mm -hmm. We are a dead rock. If you have received Christ and you are his child, guess what? You now become a reflection of a light. Mm -hmm. You are not the light, but you are a reflection of that light, just like the moon is. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, it says this, Ye, Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. A city, a, city, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth it light unto all that are in the house. Understand, this right here, distance from God through, I don't care if it's apathy, if it's ignorance, or if it's sin, is what keeps us from shining in this world. We have to search our hearts. If I'm not shining, there's a specific reason, and I need to look at that. That's what we did in communion this morning. We searched our hearts and said, you know, what do I need to make sure is right with God inside of me? Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. 
God says, I have a mission and a plan for you. I want you to apply these things. I want you to live this life. And bottom line is we go, you know what? I want to, but I just got all this stuff in my life that's in the way. And I want to represent Christ, but I just don't feel confident in myself because I know that I'm dealing with this issue personally. But when we can surrender those things to God and receive the forgiveness of the Lord, it's taken away and it's gone. You can become what God called you to become. And look at this verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We shine the light of Christ. But I want you to pay attention to the very first word. It says let. Let. That means you can choose to not let it. It's a choice to let the light shine. It's within you. It's within you. And if you're right with the Lord, guess what? It will pour out of you and you cannot help it. Amen. You'll go places and people just be like, whoa, whoa, hey now, hey now. You're a Christian, aren't you? Right? It happens. It happens. Right? And it's because it just comes pouring out of you. Unless you've got a veil of sin or issues in your life that you're struggling with. And all of a sudden it hides it. Light has nothing to fear from darkness. Yet many of us are afraid of the dark. When I was a little kid, I lived in a house that was like a little creepy. Right? And I used to live in my room was at the very top of the steps. And guess where the light switch was? At the very top of the steps. Who does that? Right? And this long stairwell that went up into the darkness. And my parents' room was downstairs. And at night, my mom would be like, David, time to go to bed. And I'm like... <laughs> we used to have this little poodle. And she would sit at the bottom of the steps and be like... Right? And just growl at the steps. I'm like, well, that's not a good sign. <laughs> that doesn't... That doesn't they all make me want to go upstairs. Right? So when I went upstairs, that wall was always dirty. You know why? Because I went up the wall like this, like this, looking at the light switch. I ran up the wall, ah, into the dark. So there was always a swath of dirt, because I was not a clean kid, unfortunately, all the way upstairs. And when I hit that light, it was like, okay, okay. There was nothing up there. But I'm telling you, I was scared to death of that darkness, right? I had no confidence that there was nothing there. I believed that everything in the world that could have possibly been up there was up there waiting to kill me, right? <laughs> but what's amazing is you and I, we allow our fears to control us. And when we do this, we don't take steps into the darkness. See, the darkness is outside of here. It's light in here, man. It's bright in here. Oh, man, you can feel the light of the Lord. You can feel His presence. You can feel the fellowship of the Spirit. And you go, man, you know, I'm safe in here, man. This is great. And I go, hey, you know, let's go to the Walmart parking lot and talk to some folks. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> nah, I mean, you know, really? You want to get, it's kind of dark out there. Let's go, we can hang out in church. You want to go back there and fellowship for a little bit? Yeah, it'd be great. We'll squat and talk to some folks. <gasps> fear. There's nothing to fear. Nothing to fear at all. We think about things like this, you know. It'd be so much easier if I just didn't get involved. I don't want to risk myself. We can choose to huddle together in places that are filled with light, like our church, and live in a fortress of faith. Or, guess what? We can put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Tighten our belt of truth. Right? Stand on the word. Put on the breastplate. Righteousness. That means you're living for Him. Not full of sin, but righteously living for Him. Making sure that our feet are shed with the preparation of the gospel, 
Man, I know the Word of God. I know and I trust in Jesus and I know who He says He says He is and I trust Him with my whole heart. Taking up our shield of faith. Lifting it up. So many people walk through life like this and they're constantly getting hit and they're complaining. You just don't understand what I'm going through. Well, where's that shield, brother? Where's your faith? We just don't understand. Life's hard. And, you know, I mean, I just, I got this and this and this and this. Isn't God still on the throne? Isn't God still sovereign? Can't God still defend you? Aren't, isn't He still a fortress? Why are you walking away from the fortress? And why is your shield down? Don't come complaining to me if you don't have your shield up. Because guess what? Here's your opportunity to be defended. Faith, man. Faith. Implemented. It says, taking on the helmet of salvation. Man, make sure that thing's on there tight. I know that I'm saved. I'm not listening to the lies of the devil. I'm not going to listen to that garbage he tries to put between my ears because I know in whom I have believed. Arming ourselves with the sword of the Spirit, man. The Word of God. Hide its words in your heart that you may not sin against Him. This is our weapon, man. This is our weapon. And many times we leave this weapon sitting with dust on it. We don't know it. We're not familiar with it. I don't think anybody would go to battle not knowing how to pull the trigger on their weapon. Right? That's why when they go into training, they teach them and teach them and teach them. Break it down, put it back together. Break it down, put it back together. Break it down, put it back together. I want you to know where every single part is. I want you to fire that thing in the water. I want you to fire it in the mud. I want you to fire it in the sand. I want you to fire it in every situation. You make so, so comfortable with that weapon, you feel like it's a part of you. If you treated this Bible that way, buddy. You can go into any situation. No darkness will scare you. Because you've got a weapon, the most powerful weapon in existence, right here. That's right. Amen. But many of us don't use it. Arming ourselves and then going to battle for our Lord to rescue those imprisoned in the darkness. Will we hide amongst ourselves in the light? Or will we compassionately look out upon our lost world and step out by faith to break through the darkness? the dawning of the sun. He is risen. And guess what? He's the answer to everything they're searching for in that darkness. As they fumble and stumble and search and cry, they're looking for him. And if we're not out in the darkness, how are we going to tell them? Guess what? He said, ye are the light of the world. So when we go in the darkness, guess what? We destroy the darkness with the light. God has given us an amazing gift. We're not great. He is. We're not the light. He is. But we get to be a reflection of that light. Let's be that to this world. It's a challenge for every single one of us. Every day you're going to walk out and the darkness is going to try to come against you. But you know what? Light. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for our message today, God, the dawning of the sun. Thank you so much for the power of the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this weapon that you've given us to fight a spiritual battle that is around us at every walk, every step, every moment of our lives. We are in a spiritual fight and we must be armed and protected. God, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us not to look at our circumstances, but Lord, walk and trusting in a sovereign God who's on the throne. 
Thank you for the work you've done in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, for this message today. I pray that you challenge us, Lord, that we might become soldiers for Christ in a world that's in a desperate need. And Lord, as we are reminded today of the fact that you are risen, God, you are on the throne and you are watching us. And Lord, you want us to be accountable to you to do the very best we can to honor you. Help us to live a life that brings glory to your name. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor, I'm I'm excited, I guess, but I'm a little bit scared. Understand, in order to walk out in that darkness, you must be a child of the king. You're not born a child of the king. You're actually born a child of the Satan. We're born into sin. Think about little children. You don't have to teach them how to tell a lie. That comes naturally. You've got to teach them to tell the truth. We all come from that. And there's a nature that's within us which is sinful. And God, through His beautiful love, sent Christ to be the ultimate sacrifice. And in doing so, He offers us a way out of that life. A way to have a relationship with Him that will restore us in a relationship with God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's a fact. But God, through His love, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God offers grace and love and forgiveness. And He paid the price. God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you're here today and you say, you know, I have never received Christ as my Savior. I've never trusted Him by faith and asked Him to save my soul. I've never had Him apply that blood to my sin debt. Today I sit here guilty, but I want to walk out of here free. Today I want to walk out of here righteous. You have an opportunity to receive that gift today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. It's nothing magic about the prayer. It has nothing to do with the words of the prayer. It's the intention of our hearts. If we pray today with our whole heart, we want to receive Christ, He will, without a doubt, receive us. And He'll apply that blood to our debt, and He will save our soul. But it's an opportunity that we have to choose, just like letting our light shine. We have to choose. It's a gift, the gift of God. A gift is offered by someone who paid a tremendous price, but the receiver doesn't have to spend any penny, not a penny. Just a free gift. We just have to receive it. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, If you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. But remember, God's listening to your heart, not your words. Pray in your heart and mind and repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for what I've done wrong. I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to apply your payment to my debt. I'm asking you, Lord, through your love to come into my heart to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I trust you and I'm so thankful that you've saved me. I will see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.